Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Charity Charge Show. Today, I am excited to have Jim Starr, who is the president and CEO of America's Charities, on the podcast. Jim, thank you so much for being here with us. Stephen, I'm glad to be here. Looking forward to it. Well, first, I want to start by just congratulating you and your team and everyone that's a part of America's Charities, including your board members. Big shout out to George Weiner, our friend, um, for putting us in touch. What I want to congratulate you on is that you were recognized as one of the best, or I should say top 50 nonprofits to work for by nonprofit times. I know it's obviously been a super challenging year for organizations over the past, um, excuse me, rather two years, but can you talk to me a little bit about what that means to you and your employees? Yeah, um, it was... um you know, quite an accomplishment for us, something that we're extremely, extremely proud of. We've been um, surveying our employees around employee satisfaction. I think every good organization does that to see where uh, where things are with morale and culture and things of that nature. And two years ago, we shifted our approach to using um, the nonprofit times profits to work for a survey. Uh, felt that it was much more comprehensive um, and really kind of liked their approach and really appreciated how it looked at us against our own sector and other nonprofits of our size. And so um, was not anticipating that we'd make that list in our second year of being a part of uh, part of that survey process, but are, you know, really, really proud of that, proud of that accomplishment. Now being, you know, it almost feels like two years getting to that point with COVID and this new, new digital world and whatnot, what are some of the things that, that you all addressed and changed? And, you know, I'm sort of asking you through the lens, we work with a couple thousand nonprofits and there's, there's executive directors and board, board members and such that listen to this podcast, just trying to get some advice and trying to, you know, they obviously want to improve their own organizations and make sure that they have strong morale. What are some of the things that, that you all have changed or what's some of your advice to other leaders of nonprofits? You know, um, I'd say it wasn't so much of things that we, I wouldn't categorize it as changing as a result of the pandemic. Um, I'd say one of the things about our organization, our people and our cultures that we're flexible, we're adaptable, uh, we care for one another and obviously are really committed to our mission, which I think most people working in the nonprofit sector are. But I think our flexibility and our adaptability allowed us to kind of shift um, when the pandemic struck. For example, um, even before the pandemic, we have always had a very flexible approach to work and where you work. Um, we didn't have a requirement that everyone needs to be sitting at their desk nine to five every single day, Monday through Friday. Uh, if people wanted to work from home a day or two a week, not a problem. So um, uh, it when it came time to go full remote, our team was already accustomed to working remotely. It just was shifting and adapting to working remotely full-time as opposed to just part of the time. Um, and we've always put a premium on trying to maintain a good work-life balance. Um, you know, I've always found that if people are um, comfortable and secure in their personal life, that carries over into their work life and they are more focused uh, at work, more committed at work. So it's important to make sure that you're addressing and facilitating people kind of 
feeling comfortable and secure outside of the workspace uh, so that when they are working for you and your mission that they're kind of all in. And um, uh, I think we've, we've done a really good job of building a culture around that. Um, I would say that the pandemic has made it more difficult to bring people together. Um, you know, uh, particularly last year and the first half of this year. Um, and so, you know, we try to do things that I think most other organizations did. We, you know, do all our all staff meetings and it's, you know, on the video on the teams, um, and uh, we did virtual team building events that were just kind of fun. Um, you know, not the regular happy hour, but, you know, a facilitated um, kind of uh, just fun event. Um, so I think people, people enjoyed that. And so our challenge now is shifting again to have people coming into the office more frequently and having meetings together. And in managing now having meetings where half the people are there and half the people are on teams and kind of going through that. So we still have some more learning to do that, but I think our flexibility and our adaptability and our commitment to mission are kind of key things that'll enable us to continue to be successful with that. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I know that it is the vision for the organization that you said is to raise a billion dollars for causes by 2026. So I want to shift now to talk about America's Charities, the organization itself. And I should mention that as history, America's Charities has been around for over 40 years now and has already raised more than $750 million for more than 25,000 nonprofits. You have a unique model. Can you share with us what exactly it is that America's Charities has been doing for those past 40 years? Yeah, I'm happy to do so. So, um, Basically, we sit at that intersection of, uh, of nonprofits and causes and companies and their employees uh, and work to bring those two together so that companies and their employees can support the nonprofits and the causes they care about most. Um, when we got our start back in 1980, it really was the result of nonprofits in the DC community looking for an alternative to participate in workplace giving programs beyond the United Way. Um, and so we were kind of born from that, from that need um, and have held kind of true to that, focused on open choice, things of that nature. Uh, and then companies were also then looking for other alternatives to support employee giving programs beyond the United Way because they were interested in open choice and things of things of that nature. And so we were one of the first organizations uh, to launch uh, an online employee giving platform. Um, this was before, you know, obviously the times that we have today with multiple for-profit software companies playing in the space. Uh, and over the course of time, we've evolved. Um, we've evolved our technology. We've purchased technologies. We partner with technology partners um, and have a really strong relationship right now where we've got a fully integrated program that does employee giving, employee volunteering, grants management, employee assistance funds, um, manages donations from a variety of different vehicles through payroll deduction, credit cards, stock donations, cryptocurrency donations, um, PTO donations, you name it, we can probably do it. 
Um, and we've also evolved our services to include employee assistance funds, where we are helping companies and their employees support uh, their employees who are in need um, due to some type of disaster or event that's created a personal financial hardship for them. So it's just another way that we're continuing to kind of evolve our focus, our programs and our services while staying true to our original mission uh, and our charitable purpose and leveraging the core competencies of the organization in the right spaces. You know, there's so much talk about corporate social responsibility, and there's absolutely, for me, I graduated college in 2008, so I've been out in the corporate working world, so to speak, for 13 or so years now, and I understand what this modern corporate social responsibility is. I know when you explained all of that, you know, you were talking about the United Way's original model, and this organization goes back 40 years ago. For people listening to it that, that might be a millennial, I mean, what was it like for our grandparents and our parents? What was giving, what happened as, a com- as an employee and as a company? Oh, would it feel like? Yeah, and, t- and talk us through a little bit of why that evolution has happened to yeah. what it is today, you know, and, and sort of what are the demands or expectations of a modern employee of their employer? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I'll just reflect back to kind of my early days, right? Um, And if, uh, you know, I worked for an organization, a nonprofit, um, about 10 years into my postgraduate life. And the, um, the only way that you could donate if you wanted to give was through the United Way program. And um, uh, that was your only option. And so you donated through- Even explain that. I mean, you know, United Ways, you know, can you talk about sort of their history, why they sort of what they, from a functional perspective are doing in different communities or at least were doing? Yeah. So, well, the United Way today is all over the map, depending upon what community you're in and what their focus is and where their priorities are. Um, But- kind of back in the day, they were the workplace giving provider. Um, and they brought a basket of charities to the table that were their affiliates or their members. And so you could only donate to one of those organizations. So you're restricted in terms of who you could actually donate to. So if your favorite nonprofit or your animal shelter or whatever wasn't part of the United Way, it was very difficult, if not impossible, for you to actually donate to them through your employer's giving program. And why would, from a, maybe a tax perspective, can, I want you to keep going on that point. I'm jumping in, but if you're an employee, why is it more advantageous? I mean, why would you want to donate through the employer to a nonprofit versus getting the cash yourself and then making the donation? Yeah. Well, I mean, both ways are fantastic ways to support a nonprofit. Um, what makes employee, what makes giving through your employer program is, um, when they can offer you payroll deduction. Now, it's not that it offers you any additional tax benefit. I mean, it's still post-tax dollars. That's just the way the tax system works. Um, so you still get the same tax benefit regardless of which way you go. But the nice thing about doing payroll deduction is that you essentially you sign up for it um, and it's just withheld out of your paycheck, You know, every paycheck. So it's like contributing to your retirement plan or buying your health plan. It's kind of money you don't see. Um, it, you know, so it never really even hits your budget per se. 
so it makes it really easy and convenient to support a nonprofit. The um, other um, piece of it is that the good programs have really good platform technologies that make it really easy to participate, to find a charity, to select that charity. And it's just a couple of clicks and you're done. Um, you can even do research, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. So it makes it very convenient in that respect as well. Awesome. Can you talk a little bit too, though, um, about companies that maybe might offer a match or something? Because I'm thinking that also brings an advantage for the employee. Yep. That's uh, another great point is uh, matching, matching gift programs that many companies have as part of their employee giving programs, where if I donate 10 bucks a paycheck um, and I've got 24 paychecks at the end of the year, the employer's making a $240 gift to my nonprofit. Um, and the only thing that I had to do was actually donate. Uh, and so I've doubled my gift, my doubled my impact in this example um, for my favorite for my favorite cause. Uh, so it makes it really easy. And using the platform through the uh, through the employer, just again, it makes it automates it, it automates everything. Um, and so, and we have found in our work that the companies that are offering matching programs generally have much higher rates of participation, and they can kind of focus uh, their gifts through different campaigns and things of that nature. That's awesome. I think that's a good sort of PSA on both the employer and employee side. Uh, I imagine that candidly that there's a fair amount of employees donating that are not getting that match because they may just not be aware of it. They haven't enrolled in it. And I love your point of suggesting that the data really shows when companies go to offer that match, what that can do for retention and morale and whatnot. I think it's, I think it's really tremendous. Yeah, the thing with, you know, you mentioned there is a lot of matching dollars that are left on the table. Um, and a lot of times there's, I mean, I think there's two main causes to it. One is lack of awareness. Employees just don't know that their employer has a matching gift program. So, you know, those listening, if you work for a company, go find out if they have one. If they don't, ask them why not. Um, and then the second piece is friction. And so, um, you know, an employer may have a matching gift program. And then let's say I wrote a check to an organization and now I have to apply for a matching grant. And so there's, it's paper can be, sometimes it can be paper-based and there's just a little bit more friction in the process. And I mean, I've heard from friends who basically said it was too much of a hassle. I'm like, yeah, but the nonprofit is missing out on, you know, 500 bucks if you just put a little bit of effort into it. Um, but, you know, so friction is another, is another sure. issue sometimes. Sure. So bringing us back today to the core offering that America's Charities provides, when you're partnering with these companies, um, can you walk us through a little bit of what that process might be like sort of from A to Z if a company was interested in rolling out you know, a program for their employees to be able to easily donate through, through your platform and services? Yep. Yeah. We usually start with just trying to get an understanding of what their objectives are. What do they want to accomplish? Why are they interested in doing this program? Uh, do they currently have a program? If so, what's worked with it? What are some of their pain points? Really just kind of listening um, to the company to find out more about kind of their overall dreams and aspirations of what they want their program to look like. Um, and then the types of components and features they want to have as part of that. So uh, in the giving realm, what you know, methods of participation do they want to 
uh, provide? Do they want to have a matching gift program? Uh, are there special causes they want to highlight? Are they going to run special campaigns throughout the year, for instance, for disaster relief, or maybe for veterans during November, or hunger relief, or Earth Day in April, or whatever that looks like? You know, uh, what are some of the things that they'd like to accomplish with respect uh, with respect to that? Um, do they want to do volunteering? Do their employees volunteer today? How much do they want to support that? Do they want to run corporate um, sponsored volunteer events? Do they want to let employees create their own events? Do they want to recognize the volunteer contributions their employees are making outside of the workplace? Do they want to provide financial incentives to the nonprofits for their employees who donate through Dollars for Doers grants? So there's a whole host of things that we like to learn a little bit more about the company to help kind of get a sense of what their program um, can look like and should look like. And then we also focus on grants management as well? Do they have a grants management program where they're providing corporate dollars to selected nonprofits, either through an application process or through some other um, more formal review process? And what does that look like? And, you know, how much are they looking to do in that realm? Um, and then, you know, getting a sense of their organization, how many employees they have, where they're based, are they international? Um, you know, and just other things that allows us to kind of almost spec out uh, an approach and a program uh, and the technology solution um, to help facilitate that and then bring other kind of best practices to the table as they look to, as they begin to implement that. And from a size perspective of company, how small of, of a companies are you working with and how large of companies are you working with? Anywhere between a couple hundred employees to a hundred thousand employees. Wow. So we can work with just about anyone um, in just about any industry uh, in any geographic footprint. And you, you mentioned the couple hundred, but is there, is there truly a uh, floor? I mean, if a company was listening to this podcast and was interested in doing it, I mean, what would you, if you can't work with them, what would you suggest to the companies that are maybe growing, but are five employees, 20 employees, 25 employees? Yeah. So like, so for the, for the really small companies, um, you know, it really just comes down to budget and um, you know, there are administrative costs associated with kind of running these, there's licensing fees or things of that nature that just will make it cost prohibitive for a smaller company. Um, some of that's going to depend upon the nature of the workforce, you know, in your smaller, more professional, like, you know, law firms, consulting firms, things of that nature. Um, generally, the, the size and, you know, volume of their gifts um, are going to make it more practical for a, sol a solution to be a a solution to be implemented. Um, and so our smaller companies tend to be more on that professional services, uh, professional services side. Um, there are other um, things to explore. Um, we do have um, kind of credit card ACH only platforms that we can build out. Um, cause you know, a lot of the administrative work comes in that payroll deduction process. Cause there's a lot more, reporting and reconciliation and things that go into that process. But for a simple credit card ACH platform that's branded for the company, uh, it can help direct donations either maybe to a fund that then gets decided how it gets dispersed to charities. Um, there, you know, those are fairly low cost, low cost solutions. Excellent. I want to spend a, a little bit of time now talking about your role in the employee assistance funds. Oh, and yeah. 
Yeah, it's sort of interesting that you bring that up because one of our main partners at Charity Charge is Commerce Bank. And I remember years ago, the, our, the, the main manager that we worked with signed up, he got a Charity Charge card, and he elected to fund the employee assistance program that Commerce Bank had, mm-hmm. which I thought was really cool. And candidly, that was the first time I had heard of this concept. This was maybe five and a half years ago or so. And I think that this could really resonate with a lot of uh, certainly the business owners that might choose to roll it out um, and then also the employees. So can you walk us through that and, and the, the rise of this, this type of giving? Yeah. So um, employee assistance funds, you know, have been around in the tax code for in some shape or form for a while now, but they really weren't leveraged in the corporate community outside of the fortune thousand or fortune 500. Um, because they can be complex to set up and administratively burdensome to manage. Um, And so really where you saw them were with larger companies that either had a foundation or, you know, had a public charity 501c3 to operate the program out of, because there's also tax implications. Um, And it was something that um, our clients started to ask us about you know, hey, could you guys set up an employee assistance fund? And so, you know, a few years ago, we started to look into that and I kind of explored it in depth in terms of what's involved in doing that and discovered it really leveraged all the core competencies that we had. And so it's a vehicle that allows a company um, and its employees, if it wants to, it allows its employees to contribute to provide a fund that helps their coworkers that are experiencing a personal financial hardship as a direct result of some type of triggering event. Could be a medical issue, it could be a natural disaster, whatever. Um, And the the popularity of these programs continue to grow. Um, One, because it seems unfortunately more, a higher percentage of Americans don't have $400 in their savings account to be able to withstand an emergency and then find themselves in a very bad position of not paying the utility bills or rent or being not not able to afford the medical bill or whatever. Um, And so these programs are a great way for companies to take their CSR focus that has historically been pointed externally into the community to point it inwardly to their own employee base. Um, And so we run about 120 funds um, for companies, Uh, again, wide range of sizes, uh, geographies, um, we have domestic uh, programs, international programs, just a you know the whole the whole spectrum, if you will. Uh, and we take a very tailored approach to each of our clients in building out their program and utilizing an online application site that's branded for them. Uh, we manage the whole application review process, the grant disbursements, um, you know, all of that, all of that stuff uh, for a company. So basically, they can say, hey. We've got a program. It's being administered by this third party, America's Charities. Here's how you, here's how you apply. Here's how you can fund it. You know all that stuff. So we kind of take it off their hands completely. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. As you're talking about that, one of the things that came across my mind as we're seeing what appears to be the frequent rise in natural disasters. What sort of potential programs are you running when when those things happen? Whether they're international disasters or national, local, regional, talking about hurricanes, storms, things of that sort. Anything that you all do or can assist companies with in that regard? 
Yeah, there's a couple things that we do. So um, one, we've, we have a uh, kind of a standard disaster relief fund um, that's always there. Uh, and so when a disaster strikes, we can kind of essentially activate it, promote it um, to our uh, to our clients and they can position that if they want to on their giving platform uh, and kind of conduct a campaign around it and raise funds for disaster relief. Um, some companies prefer to work with specific relief organizations, maybe one, maybe a basket of them. And so we can create a, um, help them create a campaign that's focused on that. So essentially their own disaster relief campaign. So we facilitate quite a bit of that as well. Again, domestic as well as international. Um, and then, you know, we get geared up with our employee assistance funds. So, you know, like the winter storms, uh, last winter down your neck of the woods. Um, right. We had a, uh, we've got um, uh, a, quite a few clients that have, you know, significant employee populations uh, in that area. And so we had a, uh, we had a spike, you know, obviously in, in applications. So we, we get staffed up and geared up uh, to, to manage, to manage that. That's great that you guys are doing that. It's, it's super needed and I'm sure extremely helpful, obviously for the nonprofits that, that need funds, you know, like that, but then also companies, I mean, every employee, everybody wants to f- give back, but if you can facilitate an easy way to do it, it, it's really incredible. So I love that you have that, those programs and just that in place, you're able to roll those out, you know, pretty much in a moment's notice. Um, and I think what, what is, you know, great about your work and what you're doing and been doing it for 40 plus years uh, to make sure that the, the nonprofits that are the recipient of those funds are vetted and the right organizations, because there's a lot of fraud that happens, unfortunately, when those um, natural disasters spike up, a lot of people are yep. running fake GoFundMes or, or, or whatnot to sort of try to steal those funds, even when, it, when it's given by people that are super well-intentioned. So I really appreciate that role that you all are playing. Jim, I know that in the, um, we focused a lot on the core offerings that America's Charities has had for for many decades now. What I'd like to focus on in the beginning of our our conversation before we hit the record button, we were talking about cryptocurrency and and what that's all about and how nonprofits can benefit from it. I know you've started to um, take some really positive steps in that regard and be on the cutting edge of it at, at America's Charities. Can you talk about your work in the crypto space and accepting donations and whatnot for nonprofits? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's an interesting space. You know, we're still learning. Uh, I think this space as it relates to cryptocurrency donations is in its infancy. It's already pretty big and I think it's just going to get much bigger. Uh, and, um, yeah, so several months ago, um, basically just started looking into this a little bit more and to see if there. Uh, if there's a role for America's charities uh, in that space to help kind of facilitate um, crypto donations to nonprofits, what that would look like. And, you know, maybe there's somebody that wants to support America's charities through a crypto donation. Let's make sure we're ready to do that. Uh, and so um, we've partnered up with the Giving Block, um, who is, I think, pretty well known in the crypto donation space. And um, uh, we're doing, you know, a few things. One, we're we can accept crypto donations uh, directly to America's charities through the giving block, but we're also helping facilitate crypto donations um, for nonprofits. Um, and again, in partnership, uh, in partnership with the giving block. 
Uh, and um, it's interesting. I think we're going to see an uptick in this space over the next couple of months before the end of the year as um, crypto holders that have significant holdings are looking for, you know, advantageous tax deductions and see the crypto as a way to do that because they donate it as property. They don't have to, it's much more valuable for them to donate it as cryptocurrency as opposed to converting it to US dollars and then donating it. Um, and so it's, it's just like stocks, um, same process as stocks. Uh, so we're, we've already seen some significant volume uh, in that respect. Uh, it's interesting. That's awesome. And I'm even on your website right now. I know that, you know, as your role, America's Charities, as the organization can accept crypto, but enabling all these nonprofits to be able to do that through the partnership with Giving Block is, is super cool. Um, I'm on this section right now on your website. And what what's amazing to me is that, I mean, I'm sure it's going to keep growing in in cryptocurrencies that are accepted, but there are already one, two, three, four, I mean, I'm counting maybe 15 or so cryptocurrencies uh, mm -hmm. that, that can be donated. This is really neat. Yeah, in fact, awesome you all are on the cutting edge of it. In fact, one of the things that we're doing, because crypto, it's still, uh, it's just an interesting space, like I said. And so through our relationship with the Giving Block, we've got, um, we work with one uh, crypto exchange uh, that facilitates those uh, transactions. Um, but that exchange doesn't take all crypto and there are literally hundreds of cryptocurrencies out there. And so, um, we actually have, um, a couple of other, um, exchange accounts that will allow us to accept crypt other cryptocurrencies. And that's one of the roles that we're playing with the giving block is to help crypto donors holding those tokens to be able to donate to their nonprofit, uh, of choice. And we can help facilitate that transaction. Excellent. Excellent. For those listening along too, I, I know I've mentioned that this is, um, you know, we're speaking with Jim Starr from America's Charities. I want to point out that the URL, if you're interested in learning more, of course, you could Google America's Charities, but is simply charities.org, C-H-A-R-I-T-I-E-S.org, C-H-A-R-I-T-I-E-S.org. Jim, is there anything else that we haven't covered? Anything else you want to bring up just in general as we head towards the end of the year? Uh, if the answer is no, that's fine too. But I'm just thinking, knowing that our audience are a couple thousand executive directors running their organizations, um, I'm thinking that they should tell the companies that they work with or that are supporters of theirs in their network to check out America's Charities. Because I, I really have found that it's a rising tide raises all boats, right? And yep. even if those companies maybe are giving something directly at the corporate level, being able to activate their employee base could bring a whole flood of, you know, additional donations for their organizations and others in their community. Yeah. Well, I'll leave you with um, three thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, one, um, take care of your own. So, you know, um, take care of your, your, your people. They are who you, who you are. It's what makes your organization fantastic and great. Um, so make sure you take care of your folks. Um, as best you can. Second is, um, you know, reach out to your, uh, to your corporate partners or maybe your board members who work for corporations and talk about ways to make sure that one, if they're not doing employee giving programs, that they start doing them, um, you know, hopefully through us, but through whoever. 
um, there's options out there. Uh, and, and also to see if there's a way that you, as your, you know, as a nonprofit can get profiled and featured and, you know, maybe special campaigns built around to help direct some of those, that activity specifically towards you. But, you know, as you said, just getting a, a giving program in place in the first place, rising tide lifts all boats. Uh, and then third, um, you know, look at your major donor list. Um, you may have a few crypto uh, millionaires potentially amongst uh, your donor list or amongst your network. Um, they are not going to be your baby boomers. They're most likely going to be millennials, um, maybe a handful of Gen Xers. But what I'm seeing is that uh, it seems that the majority of uh, the crypto donors that we've seen are millennials um, and not your traditional uh, nonprofit supporter, but they want to support nonprofits. Uh, they need to be asked. They need to be engaged, just like any donor. Um, so I would say, you know, do a little digging, just a little casual asking. Um, there may be an opportunity that you hadn't known about um, sitting right out there for you. Well, I think that's a tremendous point. And one of the things that I'll, I'll, I'll expand on that, my to, to expand the advice to any nonprofit leader that's listening to this is that through America's Charities and Jim's team, your nonprofit can be enabled to accept crypto donations. And your organization really should be looking for new ways and enhanced ways to bring in additional donations and additional revenue. And I think knowing that how relatively new the crypto world is and how for a lot of people out there, candidly, that got in early, that have raised a lot of money, they maybe haven't been thinking about giving to an organization. But the trends absolutely show how philanthropic millennials can be and where their heart is in giving back and how they can be um, motivated and swayed to give. So I think as you think about your year-end appeals and your campaigns and such for 2022, building in that ask of, I think it just starts with, hey, do, do you have any cryptocurrency? <laughs> you know, And then right. this is a way, because I think a lot of people are sitting on a lot of money in crypto that I haven't even thought, gee, I could donate some of this. Yep. So it's really a tremendous point. And I, and I love programs that figure out how do we bring new and it really additional money towards nonprofits, which is which we need more and more of. So it's it's really wonderful. I appreciate you, Jim, for that point and everything that you shared on this episode of the Charity Charge Show. Thank you so much for being a guest today. Stephen, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And once again, I'll point out today's episode was with Jim Starr, the president and CEO of America's Charities. They can be found at charities, charitiesies.org. Org. Thanks again to everyone for listening.